from app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. And welcome into another episode of Jersey Jump Shot from the Asbury Park Press. Thank you for listening. Back for our eighth episode of the season. And of course, we have a lot to get through today. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman. Guys, welcome back to another week of uh, college basketball here in New Jersey. And at the top of the show, unfortunately, we're going to be talking about things not happening on the court because we did have some COVID difficulties affecting a few of our teams here in the Garden State. And we're going to start with Monmouth University because they had a unique situation. When I say COVID issues, you think, you know, someone has it, they get shut down. Uh, It's what we've seen all around the country this year. But Monmouth, a unique situation, Steve, because they actually had a false positive derail their weekend's games. Right, and Monmouth had been very good. They had not had a positive test within the program since November 25th when they had a positive test just hours before their season opener against Hofstra. And then on Friday, uh, they're getting ready to get on the bus to head to Manhattan for back-to-back games. And sure enough, they had a positive test uh, and it, it forced both games to be scrapped. Now what Monmouth did was they continued to test and they they realized over the weekend that it was a false positive. So now they returned to practice on Sunday, but yet, you lost two games, you know, with, with the Mac scheduling weekend games, back-to-back games as part of their COVID plan. So that really was a setback for them. You know, they had won four straight. They were in third place. Um, and, you know, they, they were supposed to come back and play next weekend at Fairfield. Well, now Fairfield went into a pause on Saturday. So that's off. And now we're kind of waiting to see what the Mac's going to do. It looks like they're going to shift everything around and Mama's going to have to go to Niagara next weekend. Uh, but still, at least Mammoth is back. But again, it, it begs the question of false positives and the impact this could have on college basketball come March. And, and you know, what if you get a, a false positive in a tournament situation hours before your game your season could effectively be ended for no reason so it's a pretty big issue so let's talk about the two there's two things at play here steve you mentioned in in march first of all let's talk about the impact right now because these things are demoralizing i mean you think you're being shut down for another two weeks after you've done everything right after you've basically cloistered yourself and now you have a false positive canceling games you're getting up for just an hours or a day before the tip-off that's, that can be brutal on a team mentally. These are at, these athletes at this level rely on rhythm and schedule. And so this is all out of whack. Someone on the inside was telling me um, just a couple of days ago that when you look at results this year, you know, you got to look at them. Wondering If you're wondering why there's bizarre scores or teams are having losing streaks, you have to look at this through the prism of the mental health challenges these athletes are going through and how hard this must be. So like, for Mama, that's got that, that doesn't help their season. It's great that they were that it was a false positive. That doesn't help any. So right now that's hard for them. Uh interest two interesting things on that note. Last weekend, Seton Hall's trip to Butler was canceled because of a false positive. That game was canceled. We don't know if that's going to be made up. It might not be, because now it's got to go to the back of the line. Stuff's backlogging. There's not much room in March. To, to schedule these things for that are getting canceled now. So again, a false positive. I know that Rutgers has had Rutgers has not has not had any pause this year at all. They had one game pushback at Penn State because Penn State had a pause. Rutgers has had several false positives. So what Rutgers does is, you know, Rutgers has all this capacity to test money. They have an antigen test from the Big Ten that they take. 
And that rules out, you know, that basically if you get a negative in the in the antigen test, you're negative. But there are false positives. They've had multiple false positives. So what they do is they then do a second type of test that then will let them know if it's false positive or not. So Rutgers has the hasn't had a shutdown because they've had the ability to do rapid follow-up testing that not every school has. So these are this is a really unbalanced playing field with this stuff. And moving on to what you said about March, Steve, I have no idea. But as we said in the podcast last week, they have to build in contingencies for this stuff. they got to build in a longer runway to the start of these tournaments to weed out things like this. So it's really an issue. There's, I don't know what's worse in March, having your season ended or being disqualified from tournament play because you're, you have a COVID pause or being disqualified because you have a false positive. That could be even worse. So these things have to be accounted for. And with Mammoth too, I mean, how we've said it before in this podcast, how do you evaluate a team when they have all of these hurdles with all of these things that they've literally never dealt with before happening over the course of a season? Mammoth was probably the hottest team in their conference. Two consecutive sweeps. They had three consecutive sweeps at home. And now they have four games, four very winnable games uh, canceled, wiped out by this. How does a team overcome, especially when it's a false positive. How does a team overcome something like that, especially Mammoth, who had all the momentum in the world coming into this weekend? Well, absolutely. And I think that is going to be a key going these next few weekends. You know, now, as you said, you know, you had winnable games at Manhattan canceled. You'd, you'd spent all week preparing for them. Now you got to prepare for a new opponent, you know, and in the back of your mind, you've got to think, well, who knows if we're even going to play these games? And and by the way, now Mammoth is going to have to get on a bus for an eight-hour trip up to Buffalo this weekend, you know, to to play a game against Niagara, two games against Niagara, and then they're scheduled to come back the next weekend against Iona, which is scheduled to return on Friday. That will be a thirty-eight day hiatus for Iona since their last game. Their last game before. This Friday coming up was December 23rd. So there's another factor. What what happens to Rick Pitino's team? I, I'm, I have a feeling he's wondering if coming back was a good idea this year. So you have the, the factor of these shutdown, shutdowns. You have the factors of false positives. And now, Jerry, yet another factor to, to add to the mixing pot is what we're seeing up in Michigan with the COVID variant. You might have seen this on the news, uh, a, a variant strain of the coronavirus affecting Michigan now. So it, it popped up. This is the highly contagious strain you've heard about in, in uh, Great Britain. I guess there were one or two cases in New Jersey and in various places across the U.S. have started surfacing where it's 50 percent more contagious. I don't know. You know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know all the details behind that, but it, I guess it surfaced in Michigan's athletic department. And uh, the, the entire athletic department was put on a two week pause. Michigan, you know, men's basketball obviously is a top five team in the country in first place in the Big Ten, and the women's team's really good too, and all the sports are good. So that was the, – the thing about that was it was just interesting to see how the movement was made to shut down the entire department and not just one team uh, because of this. And is this going to be part of a trend? Are we going to start seeing this? Because the variant's probably going to pop up in other places. And the other question I have is, you know, are there going to be schools that are more rogue or, you know, ca uh, cavalier in their approach to this – that are just going to ignore that and just play through. I think we've seen some of that already. You know, I'm not going to name any schools like Baylor or anybody, but uh, <laughs> you've seen you've seen some of the schools kind of like do that, make play by their own rules. Are we going to see that with this? And this is again a new wrinkle to 
a big challenge. And just another headache to add to the mix in this season with everything going on. Uh, exhausting to talk about, but let's talk about some games that happened. And we'll start with Seton Hall. Well, they had one game happen because their Butler game was postponed. That was the other New Jersey school I was mentioning at the top of the show that had a, a COVID-related uh, game that was canceled. But they do have that very tough loss to Villanova. Uh, a late whistle at the end there I know sparked quite a lot of debate, Jerry. And now we have Creighton coming up on Wednesday and Villanova right back on Saturday as Kevin Willard nears 200 wins. Just an embarrassing moment for Big East officiating. You know, you, you have this epic game, really the best game I saw all year in the Big East and one of the best in the country. The game is tied with one second left. And there's a scrum for a, you know, a loose ball rebound under Villanova's basket. And a foul gets called on Seton Hall, giving Villanova two shots that, you know, earns cements the game for them, puts them over the top. And, I mean, come on. Everybody who's ever watched or played basketball knows you don't call that foul. You don't blow the whistle in that spot. You just let the game, let the one second run off the clock. I don't care if there's a body on the floor. Let the one second run off the clock. Let them settle in in overtime. It's like the analogy was drawn by my good friend J.P. Pelsman. It's like calling a, a pass interference flag on a Hail Mary. You just don't do it. And it just feeds into this whole perception in the Big East that, that Villanova gets all the calls. They get the Duke treatment. You know, Kevin Willard gets a T for talking to the refs. Jay Wright gets a warning in the same game. It's the same thing over and over. And this was just a horrendous call. And it's a shame because really that game should have been decided by the players. I know Steve agrees wholeheartedly. Oh, it was ridiculous. And, you know, I mean, again, 90 feet from the basket. Who cares if Takal Molson's arm gets caught in there? The The Nova kid had the ball. He had the rebound. It's not like Seton Hall had any advantage there. It was terrible. I mean, and really just a, a disgraceful end to a to an incredible game. You can't call that foul. I mean, that's it's just you watch any college game, you watch any program pro game. The referees kind of, you know, should usually swallow their whistle in the last five seconds when there's a scrum for the ball. And like Jerry said, let the players settle it in overtime. Let them figure it out. No one's here to watch the ref. No one's here to watch the ref hand out fouls. Uh, I know no one's paying to go to games this year, but no one's watching on TV to see how many times the ref can blow his whistle. So let the players decide the game. Let the student athletes decide the game. That's what everyone wants to see. That's why they signed up. I'm sure Villanova, they'll take the win, of course. But, you know, even in the locker room, you got to wonder what the conversation is like. They've got to be looking at each other like, man, we got a break there. That was great. But let the players decide the game. But for Seton Hall, they have a chance at revenge coming up Saturday, but they'll have to get through Creighton before they go to Villanova. So lost in the in the explosion of my head at the end of that game <laughs> was uh, was how well Seton Hall really played against Villanova. Now, Villanova's coming off a month-long break, okay? So they were ripe to be beaten, but if you watch the game, Villanova played a terrific game. They played really well. They didn't look sloppy or rusty at all. Uh, Seton Hall just rose to that level, and... So it's a good sign that Seton Hall's really they're they're you know they're rising as the season goes on. Uh, so they have now they have a real gut check week, right? Creighton comes in Wednesday, a ranked team who has had Seton Hall's number, has beaten them three times in a row, destroyed them uh, a few weeks back out in uh, in Omaha, and so they come in Wednesday to the Rock, and then Villanova comes in Saturday. This is and Villanova's ranked number three. They're going to be ranked three when EAP poll comes out today. And uh, this is a, ch a real chance. Seton Hall doesn't need to win either of these games. They're trending in the right direction anyway. But boy, can they really enhance their resume 
and get that signature win with one win in the two games this week. And the way the Hall's playing right now, it's certainly possible. Now, Creighton's tough. They don't match up well with them. Uh, you know, this has been ongoing for two years. Creighton's got that. They play that five-out style where uh, it's it's just difficult to defend with the way they screen and the way they move the ball, the way they spread the floor. It seems like it's difficult for Seton Hall to defend. And Sandro Mamouklashvili, who really dominated Villanova in that game and has for two years now, uh, he's an All-American candidate, but he has not played particularly well against Creighton. They've defended him well. So so this is a task for Seton Hall. I have, I have no doubt that Seton Hall will not let the Villanova result drag them down. It's not been their style under Kevin Willard or in this group of seniors. They've always been able to sort of let results, tough results, roll off their back. I see them playing really well against Creighton and Villanova. I think they can win one of the two games. I think they probably will find a way to win one of the two. I don't know if I can tell you which one. So, you know, Creighton's not playing as well as they were back when the last time they met. Villanova is going to be better. Now they've got some games under their belt. But it's a really good test, a really good week for Seton Hall. If they want to, I think they're going to make the 20 anyway. If they want to get a good seed, this is the week to really do something and start earning that good seed. Yeah, I'm with you, Jerry. I don't think that loss drags them down. I think the opposite. I think it motivates them. I think it kind of puts a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, especially with how you mentioned the referees possibly giving some preferential treatment to everyone but Seton Hall. So, uh, you know, I think that motivates them. And I'm with you. I think one and one. And I, I can't decide which game either. I don't know if they're hungry and motivated and they come out and beat Creighton and then, you know, asking to beat the third ranked team in the country is a tall order. Or maybe they look past Creighton and they're licking their chops to get their hands on Villanova again. Oh, they won't. They're not looking past Creighton. Creighton has put a big red hand mark on their behind. (laughs) They're not looking past Creighton. I wanted to say one more thing about about the Pirates. And Steve, you could chime in on this. You've watched, you've seen a lot more basketball than I have. No offense. um, Over the years. Uh, (laughs) None taken. (laughs) Kevin Willard is poised to notch his 200th win at Seton Hall. And I just want to give you some perspective on that. Uh, only two coaches have ever done that. P.J. Carlissimo is one of the great all-time college basketball coaches in the Northeast. The man coached the Dream Team. He was an assistant on the original Dream Team, okay? He had 212 wins at Seton Hall. Willard is about to get win number 200. Whether he gets it this week or not, we'll see. He's going to get it at some point. And Honey Russell, with he's a Hall of Famer with 294. All right, no one's catching Honey Russell. But he's going to be in the in the, in the the geography of P.J. Carlissimo, and he doesn't have the final four. Okay, we know that. But, Steve, could you've watched a lot of basketball. Could you have envisioned this for Willard when he started out 11 years ago, p- taking over a broken program to get to this point? Well, no, and, and I think as you saw through whatever it was, maybe the first five years, you know, the you know, there were a lot of people who were down on Willard. You know that. You know, could he get the job done there? Could he win the big game? Could he get them where they needed to be in the NCAA tournament? And over the last five years, he has answered all those questions and then some, you know, with, with what they've done. And, you know, I think everyone at some point wants to see Seton Hall go a little deeper in the tournament. But, you know, having gotten past that first round, having won the Big East, having won some big games, uh, and developed some, you know, all-time players. Um, you know, I think he certainly has cemented his legacy. Yeah, and it's just a tremendous job of stewardship of the program. Not only has he won games, and he's hung two banners: Big East regular season, Big East tournament banner, uh, and gotten this year's team into a good position after all that they lost to graduation, and with their incoming transfer star really not playing. 
but not only has he done that, but Kevin's done a good job in his stewardship of the program. The grades have been good. Guys have graduated. He's brought in players who represent the school and the program really well. So, and we know one of those guys, Shavar Reynolds, a local guy from, from Ocean County. He's found these guys, he's developed them. And so there's a lot to be proud about for Seton Hall fans and for New Jersey basketball fans about what the program has become on his watch. I'll be addressing that a little more this week, but certainly deserving of a shout out in the podcast. Absolutely. And two more opportunities to, to add to that legacy with two ranked opponents on the schedule this week for Seton Hall. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. As for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, Chris, uh, a brutal loss at Penn State, but a nice bounce back win over Indiana due in part to a lineup change. Uh, that Indiana game for Rutgers uh, as close to as a must win they, they, they've had on the schedule so far this year. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that they saved their season yesterday. Um, and then the, it was a big lineup switch. You put Caleb McConnell and Paul Mulcahy in the starting five. You take out Montez Mathis, Mathis and Jacob Young. Um, and that just provided a spark, provided an energy that Rutgers had um, that they didn't have in the previous games and the losing streak. And it made a big difference. And, and they got out to a hot start. Um, the offense just ran so much more smoothly. Uh, they were sharing the ball. They were looking for good shots. They weren't just, you know, going down there and, and kind of, you know, I know that they had gotten some good looks that just weren't falling, but I think the offense just kind of got stagnant during the losing streak, and that wasn't the case yesterday. So it made a huge difference. And like I said, it's not an exaggeration to say that their season was saved. Um, it was just a huge victory, and they needed it badly. I got to give Coach Eisman some credit here. His his preview <laughs> of the game nailed it. He said three things I want to see. You know, you like to see Steve Peichel try to jumpstart this team. Number one, put the ball in Geo Baker's hands. He's the foundational player. Let him run the offense, which they hadn't been doing. And you know what? That's exactly what Steve Peichel did. He put it in Baker's hands. Baker had his best game, looked like old times. The offense ran so much better with Baker at the controls with no interference, no one else dominating the ball. Chris, you nailed that one. The second thing Chris said, Paul Mulcahy, get this guy more involved. He's a glue guy. He's a pass-first guy. He's going to do the right things to get guys good looks, which hadn't been happening. So Paul Mulcahy gets the start, has an outstanding game. Nine points, three assists, you know, did exactly what he was asked. And so Coach Eisman pushed the right buttons, called for the right buttons. And you know what? Steve Peichel, give him credit, probably a little later than he should have makes those changes, but he, he does make them, and they get a big win. So there is definitely a feel of a turn corner here. Now, we'll see that could end very quickly in the Big Ten. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask there. I mean, it, it, it feels weird to ask, but a team that's won one out of their last six, right, Chris? Are they yeah. fixed? Is is this what they need? They have Michigan State on Thursday, Northwestern on Sunday. Uh, have they turned the corner? Are, are they cured? Well, that's the thing. I, I think it's tough to say right now. I, I think if you go or, you know, on in Thursday and you lose to Michigan State, I think then you take two steps backward. You know, so now you have to build on what you did against Indiana. You have to go and you have to kind of repeat that same start um, and see if you found something here and, and if it's all clicking. I think they have a big opportunity. Michigan State hasn't played in a long time. They've had three straight postponements. Um, they've already kind of had their own struggles this year. Uh, so it's a big chance to, to pick up a victory. And then you obviously go to a struggling Northwestern team. So this is a big week, but, you know, you have to build off what you did against Indiana. I think that they unlocked something. I think that they found something that works that can be sustainable. Um, and, and so I really like the lineup switch and I like putting the ball in Geo Baker's hand that it kind of allows him to be more, uh, more assertive, assertive. Um, so we'll see what happens, but they have to build off what they did against Indiana. No question. I think what we saw in the Indiana post game with Geo Baker and Miles Johnson spoke with the reporters was what you felt was the chemistry wasn't right because the ball was not being shared. 
And the difficulty they were having on offense was affecting the team's focus over long stretches on defense. It just was. They, you know, T. Pike didn't want to talk about this. He sounded like he'd rather eat a couple lemons than discuss this. But the players really gave you the truth, and that was that guys had to be better teammates. So Pico kind of forced the issue by making changes, and good for them. But here's what I'll say about the, what's next here. Michigan State is is not a great opponent for this spot because, first of all, you don't get a whole lot metrics-wise for beating Michigan State at home because their resume isn't great. But we all know Michigan State's tough. So you got to win this game, and you're not going to get a ton metric-wise for it. And Tom Izzo has done a superb job defending Rutgers in the past. And he was the one who really started this slide, this losing streak, because he totally locked them down and kind of gave the blueprint to other coaches about, you know, cutting off the drives. So you, this is a tough spot for Rutgers. And can they win the game? Sure. But they're going to have to play, I think, even better than they did against Indiana. And Indiana, you know, fit really served, was perfect for them. Soft team. And let's face it, I've said this many times over the last year, you know, Indiana's got this great history, but. Since Archie Miller and Steve Peichel took over, Rutgers is the better program than Indiana. If you take away the name, this is the better program. Not the case Thursday will be take a really top-shelf effort, I think, to beat Michigan State at home. See, to me, here's the problem for Rutgers, okay? And, and this, is, this is the problem in the COVID world. Four and six. Let's face it, you probably have to get to 10 and 10, right, in the Big Ten. Um, so now... You've got to go six and four. You've got to navigate a month where things are going to be out of your control. What if teams you're supposed to play have to cancel for COVID? Or what, God forbid, you get a a shutdown yourself. You've left yourself with no margin for error now. That's why this is kind of a scary time for Rutgers. they got to bank as many wins as they can right now to get themselves in position because you just don't know what's coming around the turn. And speaking of coming around the turn, this just breaking on Twitter. I'm going to throw this out there right now. Uh, Iona, we talked about them coming back on Friday, Saturday against Marist. Those games are off. More positives in the Iona program. Now they're looking at not returning until February 3rd. Puts them and to uh, do the quick math about a 44 day break now. Six weeks. That's him. How do you have a season like that? But Steve, you make a great point about Rutgers. I think you know nine and eleven. If if things break their way, they might you know they'll be at the mercy of other teams. Minimum nine and eleven in league, probably ten and ten is to be on safe ground. But you're right; they have to get the games in. So Rutgers, the back end of their schedule softens. But what if they don't get those games in? What if they lose two or three of those games? Then they'll have no chance. So you're right; they're at the mercy of a lot outside their control right now. So we'll keep an eye on the Scarlet Knights. Of course, Michigan State Thursday, Northwestern on Sunday. Let's check in with our mid-majors, Steve. We mentioned uh, Monmouth, of course, at the top of the show with their games canceled with a false positive. Fairfield is off. They're going to Niagara. But how about Fairleigh Dickinson? Yeah, I mean, listen, what, what are you going to say? I mean, you, you were off for over a month and you came back and you lost two games. Well, you could kind of see that coming. You know, this is a team that was that was favored to win that league that has been thrown into chaos now. And you really feel sorry for those players. And, and I don't know exactly if they can get it together, but certainly they're one in three in the league now. Uh, so it's not looking good. And Merrimack's the defending yeah. regular season champ. I know that's a name that's not familiar to a lot of people. This was their first last year was their first year 
as Division One and and transitional Division One program, and they won the league. So to come off that long break and have to play Merrimack was a tough draw on back to back days, and it does put FDU in a hole. And again, it's one of those things where so much is out of your control. Like there's a lot of stuff that is just luck of the draw, and this was an example of that un- unluck of the draw. And I think we've mentioned it in the past weeks, but I think it's even more so for these mid-majors. It's it's a race against the clock. We were just talking about it with Rutgers. You're running out of time, and you have these games on the schedule, and they're playing these these weekend games, these weekend doubleheaders, and you're running out of time. As as you know, we get ready to enter into February here. Uh, there's only so many games on the schedule. If you're shut down for another week or two, uh, what are you going to do? What? How do you judge a team that has? Well- Look Six at St. Peter's. St. Peter's had three weeks off, and they didn't even have a COVID test, positive test. We talked about this last week. Mm-hmm. They come back against Siena, which is you know the class of the league, right, Steve? And they won. They're the defending champs. They were unbeaten. St. Peter's beats them on the first game on Friday. Then they got to turn around and play them again the next day, and it's tough. You, you know, you're in a position where you haven't played in three weeks. You got to play the the league leader two days in a row, and they lose a four point game in the last minute. So. That's one of those things where the back-to-backs are tough. Like, had those games been spread out, St. Peter's would have had a better chance of sweeping them than games on the road upstate New York. They split, which is okay, but it's not really helping them in their quest to win the league. Yeah, and, and St. Peter's, they, they split Manhattan on Friday and Saturday. NJIT splits with Stony Brook. They have Hartford on Saturday same, and same Sunday. Same thing, right? Same thing, right? NJIT has a nice chance to make a statement in the America East Conference against Stony Brook. They win the first game. And they lose the second game because it's so hard to beat a team two days in a row. Right. Same thing. This is tough draws these guys are dealing with. I just want to give a shout out to two players. Um, Casey Nadefo of uh, of St. Peter's is leading the nation in blocks. And he's been tremendous. He was great in that first game against Siena. And um, Zach Cooks continues to really play well for, for NJIT. He dropped 25 on uh, Stony Brook, which is not easy to do. So a couple of good players in New Jersey mid-majors. Yeah, and we'll keep an eye on the ever-changing schedules of the mid-majors because this is really just taking a toll on their seasons and their schedules, uh, everything going on. So we'll be monitoring that, of course, and uh, we'll check in on the next episode of Jersey Jump Shot. That's going to wrap up just about episode eight on the season. Before we end, let's just quickly go around. Jerry, we'll start with you. Uh, Some things that our listeners can read this week across the USA Today Network, New Jersey. So I wanted to just put Kevin Willard's 200, you know, 200 win in perspective and his stewardship of the program. So I reached out to a player early in Willard's tenure who um, Kevin has done a lot with behind the scenes to help in his life. And uh, the type of thing that maybe, you know, doesn't show up in the in the win loss column, but that's important about running a program in college the right way. Uh, So that will be out on Tuesday morning online and in print on Wednesday. Steve. Yeah, we're going to have uh, some updates on the Mammoth situation and some of the other major stuff for sure as the week goes on and we, and we know a little bit more about the scheduling and what's going to happen. Um, one other thing I'm going to throw out there at, at app.com, we're going to have uh, on Wednesday online, it's going to be the 100 greatest boys basketball players ever at the shore ranked, 1 to 100, and a lot of uh, former college stars in there. So look for Can't that. Can't wait for that. That's great. And Chris? And then I'll have uh, more previews looking at the uh, Michigan State game. We'll see if the Michigan State game happens. It looks like it's going to, um, but obviously Michigan State, like we said earlier, has been um, on some postponements, and and so we'll see if that happens. We think it's going to. Um, One other thing we didn't mention with Rutgers, 12-17 from the free throw line against Indiana. That was a big deal. Keep hitting their free throws, and they'll be in better shape. 
Um, so we'll have more previews of that game, and then obviously against Northwestern too. So a big week for Rutgers as they try to build on the uh, Indiana win. Absolutely. And of course, check in with app.com, northjersey.com, because as you've seen, we only broadcast once a week and the news is ever changing in this college basketball season. So be sure to follow us there. Be sure to tell your friends to subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes or Spotify, whichever you prefer. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Jersey Jump Shot. Thank you so much for listening. For Jerry, for Chris, for Steve, I'm Ryan. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.